Grace and mercy and peace be to you from our Lord and our Saviour Jesus Christ. I'll be preaching this morning from the First Timothy reading, First Timothy 6, 11 to 16. If you did want to follow that along this morning, it could be helpful to you. That's on page 164 in the New Testament. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we hear your word to us today, fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we may pursue righteousness, godliness, faith and love, endurance and gentleness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As someone who grew up playing a fair bit of sport, I've had my share of pep talks. Whether it be at training, before a game, at half time, plenty of pep talks. A pep talk, one definition is this, a talk intended to make someone feel more courageous or enthusiastic. Perhaps you've had some pep talks in various settings, from the boss at work, from a friend when you're feeling a bit flat. We can all use a bit of a pep talk from time to time. Someone suggested to me during the week that this text in 1 Timothy chapter 6, this word from the senior pastor Paul to the junior pastor Timothy, sounds like a bit of a pep talk. Perhaps we could say a holy pep talk. Not something designed to bring courage and enthusiasm generally, but something designed to bring courage and enthusiasm for the ministry of the gospel, for the life of the church, for the cause of Christ in the world. There was something to what this person noticed. These words, they're not in the first place about instruction or even comfort, although they're both in there. In the first place, these words are designed to inspire to stir up, to challenge young Timothy, to encourage him in difficult times, not to give up. And so these words can do the same for us today. Let's look at this text today under three headings. First is the good fight, second is the good confession and third is the good God. First is the good fight, St. Paul writes to young Timothy, fight the good fight of the faith. What's he saying here? Well, he's saying at least that the Christian life is not a walk in the park. The Christian life is not a holiday cruise. The Christian life is not always comfortable. It involves a fight. It involves contending in some way. It involves a struggle. And so we wonder, a fight against what exactly? We know from elsewhere where St. Paul writes that this fight is not against flesh and blood, it's not against human beings. So what is this fight against? Well, there's a number of different ways we can answer that from the text. One of the things we see in the text, one of the answers it points us to, is when we see what we're called to pursue, to go after. This was in the very first verse, wasn't it? Pursue righteousness, 
godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. Pursue these things. Chase them. Hunt them down even. Strive for them. Fight for them. Because it's the opposite of them that you are fighting against. The fight is against unrighteousness. The fight is against the ungodly thoughts, words and deeds to which you are so prone to succumb. The fight is against the unbelief that lurks in your heart and the lack of love that you display for others. The fight is against the lack of endurance, the lack of patience, the lack of gentleness that you have with your spouse or your children or your co-workers. Fight against these things. Pursue these things. That's one way of looking at this good fight. Practically speaking, how do you do this? How do you pursue all of these things? There's all sorts of ways, of course. Getting up and coming to church on a two-degree morning is a pretty good start, I would say. That's one way of looking at this good fight, this personal fight of the faith. But there's another part of it too. There's a bigger picture dimension to this, which is fighting the good fight of the faith, notice. The faith, the Christian faith, contending for the truth of God in our world is part of the bigger picture here. We know this because throughout 1 Timothy he's been warning him about false teachers that are coming into the church and making a real mess of things. And so in the face of this, the senior pastor Paul is telling this young pastor Timothy, you need to stand up, man. You need to fight for this faith that we hold that has been passed to us. Yes, you're to be gentle and patient and always speak the truth in love and yes, do not get into unnecessary quarrels over words but there is a godly contending for the faith, a more public sense of this fighting for the faith. And notice in either case, whether it's personal faith, whether it's the faith publicly, notice the stakes are high. It's connected to eternal life. That's what he says next. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Take hold of it. Seize it. Grab it with both hands. Now at this point, perhaps some of us are thinking, hang on a second, I thought that these sorts of things were gifts in the Christian life. Eternal life, righteousness, faith. These are surely gifts from God. Why are we being asked to pursue them, to grab them? And that's true, of course. In the New Testament and even in this very letter, we are taught that all of these things in the first place are gifts from God to us in Christ Jesus. But notice the other side now. The fact that God gives you eternal life as a gift does not stop the Apostle Paul from saying, now pursue them, fight for them, take hold of them. It makes sense because that's just what you do with anything precious in life, isn't it? 
Take an example like marriage. You could say that marriage is a gift in a sense. You give yourself to the other person. You don't earn their love. And once you're married, you're married. You belong to each other. But that does not mean that when times get tough, you just say, well, I'm married and that's just all there is to it. No, we fight for our marriages, don't we? We pursue the things that make for a good marriage. We take hold more fully of that which we already have. And the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, it's the same with the things of God. Think about that third question we ask sometimes in our confession of sins. Do you intend with the help of the Holy Spirit to strive to live a holy life, to strive, to pursue, to struggle towards this holy life even as Christ has made you holy? Dear men and women of God, pursue righteousness. Take hold of eternal life. Fight the good fight of the faith. That's number one, the good fight. Number two is the good confession. So Paul's been speaking about this eternal life to which we are called and then he says that this eternal life, it's that of which Timothy made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Now it's this point which connects more closely with our commemoration today of the Augsburg Confession. As many of you know, this is the event where a group of Christian people at the time of the Reformation were called before the Emperor to speak of what they believed, to confess their faith before the world. And it was in many ways the defining moment of our own tradition, the Lutheran Church. This morning at the 11 o'clock service we have some young people who will receive their first communion. As part of that rite too, they will confess their faith publicly, a very special moment for them, making their good confession. What is it for Timothy here, his good confession? It's not entirely clear. Perhaps this was a confession of faith connected with his baptism. Perhaps it was some confession of faith connected with when he became a pastor and they laid hands on him. Perhaps it was some other occasion. It doesn't make a great deal of difference in the end because the main point is that Timothy has publicly confessed his faith in Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul wants to remind him and us of the importance of this. Confession of faith is a big deal in the New Testament. Jesus spoke about this today as well, although it's easy to miss because of our translation. He said, everyone therefore who acknowledges me, it's the same word for confesses me. Everyone who confesses me before others, I also will confess before my Father in heaven. So what's the big point here? What's the big deal with this theme of confession? Well, at least a part of it is that the Christian faith is not something which is only internal. It's not something only in our hearts and minds. It's something which is to be confessed 
to be spoken out with others. We read the Apostle Paul say elsewhere, if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart and so is justified. One confesses with the mouth and so is saved. Faith and confession, they go together. And for many people this is getting harder in our day, isn't it? Many Christians have the sense in their workplaces, in their neighbourhoods, their community groups and perhaps even in their families that it's getting a bit harder to confess their faith publicly. And yet this is what we are called to do, to make our good confession of Christ, even in small ways, even if it just means being willing to say grace in public before our meals when people look at us in a strange sort of way, even if it's just telling our friends that we can't go to that thing because we're going to church. In all sorts of little ways, we make our good confession. Jesus knows it can be difficult. That's why he says three times in that gospel reading, do not be afraid. But then the Apostle Paul goes on to remind Timothy and us that it's not just Timothy who made the good confession, but his good confession was modelled on the good confession of Jesus himself. Jesus, who stood before Pontius Pilate and said, yes, I have a kingdom, but it's a kingdom not of this world. Jesus, who said, for this I was born and this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Before any of us makes our good confession, Jesus made his good confession. And that leads to our final point, which is the good God. What makes this holy pep talk so vastly different from anything we would normally hear from a sports coach is how Paul grounds this charge to Timothy. Because when the team is down and the coach wants to rev the players up, he or she says something like this. Come on, you've got to dig deep. You've got to look inside yourself and find that extra strength and speed and effort to make it happen. That's a human pep talk. But here in the scriptures, we see a different pattern. We see that the ultimate motivation and source of power for Timothy and for us is not in us. It's not in him. It's in God. It's in the good God. That's why these last verses are spent by Paul laying out who God is and offering a wonderful doxology to God. Because the good fight and the good confession are all grounded and energised and made possible and oriented to the good God. Notice what we're told in this text about God. First, back in verse 12, this good God has called you to eternal life. You do not apply for God's kingdom. 
You do not earn your way into God's kingdom. You are called into it by grace. Then in verse 13 it says that this is the God who gives life to all things. Our God is not a God who holds back, who possesses life and withholds it from his creation or withdraws it from his people. He's the life giver. He's the life sustainer, both of our physical life and of our eternal life. Then down in verse 15, it says that this good God is blessed. He is the source of all true blessing. He's the only true ruler. He orders this world for good purposes. And then it says he has immortality. He dwells in pure light. There is no death in him. There is no darkness in him. He is pure and good. And here's the thing, that although we cannot approach that light, although we cannot approach him and see his face, Paul says, the good news is that in Jesus he has approached us. In Jesus Christ he has brought that light into the world, into our darkness. He is the good God because he has sent his son for you. His son Jesus who did stand before Pontius Pilate and make his good confession even though he knew it would mean death for him. The death he died to bring you life. He rose again and ascended to God's right hand and he is the good God because Paul says at the right time he will bring about the final manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ so that when he comes to take us to himself you may be where he is. So we all need a pep talk from time to time. And that's what the Apostle Paul gives to young Timothy in this text. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to give us in our own Christian life. To encourage you to fight the good fight of the faith. To encourage you to make the good confession of your Lord Jesus Christ. To encourage you to know of your good God. I'll leave you with the words this morning from Hebrews chapter 10, which picks up many of these themes as well. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. God grant it to us for Jesus' sake. Amen.